Welcome into another edition of the Swarmcast Football Edition. David Eichel here, HawkeyeInsider.com, part of the 24-7 Sports Network. Pleased to be joined by Sean Bach. And Sean, it's interesting that, you know, it really feels like spring football is finally around the corner. I know we're still maybe six or so weeks out, but it is kind of wild to me just because football literally just, it feels like football literally just ended and uh, it's almost some sense of normalcy that uh, spring football is coming back. Yeah. I mean, my internal clock as far as months go is still kind of off. Like I'll wake yeah. up and I'm like, how, how is it? Is it February? Like I kind of get confused when, what day or what month it is still, but yeah, I mean, spring football, obviously basketball season always goes by pretty fast. And then, you know, before you know it, you're coming up to spring football and, that's what we got here in the next, you know, couple of weeks and, you know, a couple of months, like we got, we got football. It'll be interesting to see how it looks this year. I mean, we're obviously in a better spot than we were March 13th last year, but it, it's still going to be very interesting to see how this, how all this goes down, and, you know, how teams around the country go about it. Yeah. I know there's going to be really no public events, obviously, which is a smart thing to do. I mean, we probably won't have any in-person press conferences or chances to even see them, which it is unfortunate, but I understand it. I wish there was a way that at least media members could go in and see some stuff that goes on just so we can kind of get, you know, a better idea of what the team could look like instead of sitting here speculating and talking to the sources about, okay, who's looking good this week or whatever else. But Speaking of which, I mean, Sean, there's going to be plenty of storylines to pay attention to. We obviously won't get into all of them today, but you think about the, the quote-unquote open quarterback competition. You think about the battle for the backup tight end spot with, with Sean Byron. You think about who's going to step up on the defensive line. And, you know, another battle, Sean, that's kind of emerged over the past 48 hours, Mark Kallenberger, uh, who's projected to be a starter definitely in his fifth season elected to end his college football career and just move on with his life. He's getting his degree in the spring. So obviously best of luck to Mark, but Sean, what, what's your, I guess, what's your kind of initial takeaway here? I think it, it it's, it's, it's a big loss, but I've also said there's so many talented guys in the Iowa offensive line room, and there's plenty of guys that can step up, I think in that spot but I think you have to kind of accelerate the clock at this point. You can't just have guys who are spend you know time developing these guys. These guys need to be ready to get thrown in the fire and basically learn on the spot. And I think there are a number of guys that can do that. But Iowa's always been known as a developmental program, but these guys are going to have to step up and show out with all the losses that they're taking right now. Yeah, for sure. And I think Mark Morehouse, when you had him on the podcast about a month ago, brought up a good point in saying, like, how long – you want to make the clock go quicker with some of these guys, but you don't want them to take too long to develop. Now, this is a situation where, you know, there's a possibility that the clock could really be, you know, go faster, if that makes sense. Like, I mean, with Kallenberger out, that obviously takes away some of that depth that's tackle and obviously a starter. He was a guy who as a redshirt sophomore, I believe, you know, played some guard, had a really good game at guard in the Holiday Bowl against USC. Yep. You know, was kind of was on the two deep last year. Coy Cronk goes down with an injury. Kallenberger comes in, does a pretty good job, gets hurt, comes back and has two pretty solid games. Um, and, you know, when Kallenberger went down, we saw Jack Plum emerge. And I think Plum is going to prime to be probably the most, you know, locked in starter at tackle, like the most definite starter at tackle because of how he's played and 
you know, we've heard reports too that he's looked pretty solid throughout, you know, winter workouts. And I don't know how much really, you know, in like live stuff they've done, but just from what I've heard, his development has been really good. Um, you know, same thing with a couple other guys in the room. I mean, Nick DeJong out of Pella, member yeah. of the 2019 class, a former mm-hmm. uh, who was a walk-on actually, was recruited more as a defensive end by a couple of group of five schools, decided to come to Iowa as an offensive lineman. He was a guy that was on the two deep this year too. He's He's been really impressive as well. Um, people have talked about Cody Ince, who played guard this year for Iowa, kicking, going to outside, um, former basketball player, a lot of length, you know, can bend really well. Um, it's pretty violent at the point of attack. A lot of traits that you like in a tackle. It's pretty good pass rusher or pretty good pass blocker. Run blocking as well, I think, was pretty positive this year. Obviously, David Dabkoff is going to get some love, but I, I'm not ready to really mark him as anything yet just because he's got some things he needs to work out as far as, you know, development-wise and, you know, sure. just getting, getting all the way healthy. Tyler Enders, too, I think is another potential name to watch. Throwing Mason, Mason Richmond. Richmond. Yeah. yeah, who played guard this year. Had like 15 snaps this season at guard. One against – or 14 against Michigan State and then one against, I forget, who maybe Minnesota. Can't remember exactly, but – It, it, you know, you know, it like was I Minnesota said, because they were putting in all the backup linemen, I think, in the – you know, near the end of the fourth quarter. Did yeah, they play, like, only, the last nine minutes with him? He had, like – there was one of the games he had one snap. But what I'm trying to say is – what I'm trying to get as there's a lot of options, and obviously Jack Plum will play the other guard spot at the, or tackle spot, I believe. But there's options, and you know it's not def, it's not experienced options, but that's why you take so many offensive linemen in the class, and that's why you know I was known for development. It's just kind of that next man up mentality, and I think the guys behind Kellenberger that are primed to step up can really do a good job of that. I mean, do you think they can kick Richmond outside? I don't know if he has the weight to play tackle yet, and I think that's my primary concern. He's at 296.6, but, I mean, this is a guy that's put on, what, 45 pounds since he got on campus or so? Didn't he arrive at around 250? Something like that. Something like 240, 250, but he's put on some good weight. I've seen him around. He's put on good weight. Yeah, I mean, but like I said, I I think he has the potential to play tackle. I just don't know if he has the weight right now to be able to – dominate where he where you'd have to but like you said I think there's plenty of good options obviously Kallenberger is a big loss regardless just because he had that versatility playing both both guard positions kicking out the tackle he understood the game he was going to be more so the quote-unquote leader of that offensive line along with Tyler Linderbaum obviously but I know you got competition at guard now you got competition at tackle I mean what would you say I think the only solidified spot right now is probably Tyler Linderbaum, because I think Justin Britt's going to make a big push for a guard spot as well. So that'll be interesting to kind of watch. But like you said, I, I'm a I'm very high on David Davidkoff. I think he's going to have a tremendous future. Uh, but with the nagging injuries, I'm very interested to see how much. I mean, I don't, Grant, I don't know the extent of it quite yet. Maybe maybe you do, but I'm curious about how much run he'll get in spring because if he's out for the spring, I don't think he can make crack the two deep. If he plays through the spring and the summer. I think he can crack it too deep just because I had one of the more impressive offensive line uh, just highlight reels I think I've seen in quite some time, especially for an Iowa guy. From what I know, he's not out for the spring. Let's let's that's not anything like super serious by any means. But from what I know, he's not out for the spring. OK, yeah, that's good, good that you clarified that because I was not trying to uh, incite fear. <laughs> but yeah. um, 
Well, yeah, no, like I said, I think to wrap this up, I think Kalberger is a big loss, but I think Tyler Linderbaum will take over as obviously leader. Uh, we'll see what happens uh, with coaching as far as the offensive line goes. We'll get on that topic in a second. But, I mean, Iowa's got a talented experience, guys. But moving along, a couple of coaching changes, obviously, have kind of dominated the Iowa football headlines over the last, what, week or so. I mean, this has been – it was widely reported before, but I was waiting for the – Official announcement, Iowa offensive line coach Tim Polisek has officially accepted the offer to be an offensive coordinator and quarterback coach for the University of Wyoming under Craig Bull, who he actually coached under when Craig Bull was at North Dakota State. So there was that connection there. Some people were curious as to why he took the job. Let me put it this way. He can call his own place. He gets to coach his old position. And, and the move just makes a lot of sense, especially if Polisek, and I imagine Polisek has aspirations of being a head coach someday. So this is an obvious step forward, I think. But, you know, it is a big loss, I think, because even though, I mean, Paul Sick never coached offensive line before he got to Iowa, but, I mean, he's been outstanding, I think. The development of Tristan Wirfs, what we've seen him do with Tyler Linderbaum. So, but I guess, Sean, let's just get right into, the, obviously, the impact of, of losing Paul Sick. We'll get into the candidates in a second, but Paul Sick was definitely one of the more intense guys on the staff. And very well liked by the players. And obviously I think was probably one of Iowa's, if not Iowa's strongest recruiter. Yeah, I think he definitely, it's definitely a loss without a doubt. I think from an offensive line standpoint, you talk to recruits, you talk to guys that are in the room now that were recruits and they all had the same kind of respect for Polisek and, you know, just the admiration of how personable he is, how he can relate, how intense he is. I think a lot of guys like that, I know, that was a big thing for Bo Stevens is how just intense Polisic was at camps, and he really liked that. You know, as far as offensive line play goes, too, like, I mean, obviously the 2019 season wasn't great in terms of consistency. I mean, obviously Iowa had injuries, but this past year, and I think, you know, this was probably one of his better years as far as, you know, offensive line production and getting the most out of his guys with just the way that some guys had to step up and, you know, I mean, obviously there's Tyler Linderbaum and Alaric Jackson, but Iowa didn't really have many super headliners outside of Linderbaum and Jackson. I mean, Jackson is projected to be a sixth or seventh round guy, but it's not like there were studs all across the line. And I think in the future, that's going to be the case. And that kind of goes to show the tradition, you know, just how Polisek was able to recruit so well. You know, that 2021 class speaks a lot of speaks volumes to what he was able to do as a recruiter and you know 2022 as well that's going to be a very very crucial class offensive line wise and like I said I mean even 2020 like that was a very very good class yeah well, Josh Bulk Josh Bulk is going to be a pretty good player I've been hearing hearing good things about him Mason Richmond Tyler Ellsbury obviously making the two deep and you just think about combining that class and you know maybe some of the other underclassmen in the room right now combining that class with the 2021 class. And, you know, that's a scary, that's a scary offensive line. If you got Connor Colby, David Dabikoff, Tyler Ellsbury, Mason Richmond, Justin Britt, Michael Mazlinski, like Bo Stevens, who knows? Like there's what options, that offense, man. Yeah. What that, what that's going to look like. And, you know, that's credit to Tim Polisek. It's also credit to the air recruiters, but you know, Tim Polisek did a heck of a job during his time at Iowa when it came to recruiting, especially in recent cycles. Yeah, like you said, I think it's a big loss, but it, people need to realize a couple of things. And I think recruits, for the most part, understand this too, Sean. You commit to a school, not a position coach. If you commit to a position coach, I think you're kind of crazy. I understand the relationship aspect 
and it does play an important role. But a lot of position coaches don't want to be position coaches. They want to move up. They want to be coordinators. They got higher aspirations. And the second part of that, too, is people obviously people are worried about, you know, who, who are they going to get curious about who they're going to get, Iowa's going to get, et cetera. But it makes the job look better when guys in that position are able to move up. And I think that's what's going to make Iowa's offensive line. I think the tradition of Iowa's offensive line and what Kurt Ferentz does, I think that's going to help as well. But then we'll get to this in a minute, but obviously Derek Foster going to the LA Chargers as uh, same position, but he's a 34-year-old guy going from Iowa to the NFL. I mean, that's a big step up, especially if Foster wants to coach in the league. So I, I think that there, there are definitely going to be a couple names to watch for. We've kind of hinted at them on our board, but I would advise Iowa fans not to be overly worried about who might step up in this process and who Iowa is going to grab, because I think right now it does look like a very attractive job, especially like you said, when you look at the recruiting impact, who they have in the fold, the tradition of Iowa, et cetera. Like I think Iowa is going to have plenty of pretty solid candidates that they'll be able to choose from. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Yeah, without doubt. And like you said, we teased them on our VIP message board, so our VIP members know what they're getting in that, but yeah, there's definitely, definitely makes the job look a lot more attractive when you recruit the way that Polisic did and, you know, develop it. I mean, you look at Tristan works, like just the way he's been able to perform in the NFL. You look at um, Ike Bucker, even though Ike, you know, most of his career was before Polisic got here, um, if I'm not mistaken. And, you know, there's a number of other guys, too, in the NFL offensive linemen that, you know, not necessarily were coached in their policy, but just that offensive line tradition, no matter who Iowa brings in, um, always seems to live up to the expectations. And, I mean, you have one of the best offensive line coaches, you know, or, you know, kind of just, you know, developers like Kirk Ferentz. who was a very well-known offensive line coach. Like, there is a lot – like, offensive line – and cornerback recruiting like those are two positions that you really don't need to worry about with Iowa and you know you can make the argument um the same thing with defensive line I guess and maybe linebackers but you know offensive line cornerback offensive line especially is a position that you should not have to worry about and you know Polisek did a great job of that and I think it's only going to get better with whoever else whoever else they add I think they're going to find a way to get a really good hire yeah, and the last thing we'll say about this before we move on, Derek Foster, is Sean Dish just, just did an article uh, interviewing some top 2022 uh, recruits, offensive line recruits for Iowa and kind of the impact of Paul Sec leaving. So be sure to go to Hawkeye Insider to check that out. But 
you know, let, let's move along. Obviously, Sean, another big, big news, which was reported last week, I believe by AL.com that Derek Foster had accepted a job with the LA chargers to be the running back coach. Very good step up for Foster, but I think it's a big loss for Iowa. I was a big fan of talking to Derek Foster when we got the opportunity. Definitely knew his stuff, very passionate about it. And I think he's kind of revived the Iowa run game, and he's largely largely responsible for establishing Iowa back down south in the recruiting trail. And I think that's going to be something very interesting to watch for when it comes to who could step up as you know the next running back candidate because I think it would be – doing Iowa a disservice if they did not get a guy with ties to the South, because look who, the, who Iowa's gotten from the South, Tyler Goodson. The reason why Tyler Goodson came to Iowa, Derek Foster, he's the one who got him locked down, kept him in Iowa. And obviously we've seen what that's turned into. He's a first team, all big 10 running back who I think is going to have a, I don't want to call it a breakout junior season, Sean, but maybe a breakout in a normal season. I mean, he's, he, he is potential to be a first team, all big 10 back again, and then obviously Dane Belton, who's, I think, again, you talk about breakout guy on defense. I think Dane Belton could be that. We've seen what he can do in the cash position. We've seen how he progressed. Uh, Derek Foster is largely responsible for getting him in the fold, uh, coming straight out of Tampa, Florida. So let, I guess let's just t- sort of dive into this, Sean. Obviously, uh, we know how tight Tyler Goodson and Derek Foster were. I mean, we've had Maurice Goodson on the podcast, Tyler's father, and he's talked about how tight that the entire family is with Derek Foster. And there's no doubt that they're – Upset about the news, but happy for uh, happy for Derek. And uh, I mean, let's just dive into it again. I think I think it's a big loss, but uh, again, I think this makes Iowa's job, running back coaching job, look pretty attractive. Yeah, I definitely agree. And you know, you said it with Belton Goodson, and you know, you have to talk about Reggie Bracy as well, who appeared on the two deep this year. Um, and yep. Iowa was only was one of the only schools to really take a chance on him. I mean, Indiana was the other one, but Iowa was one of the first ones to offer. You know, other schools wanted to get in on Bracey once he had a big senior year, but Iowa did a good job of blocking that one in early, getting in early and getting him on campus and, you know, get him committed. So, yeah, I think that's one of the big things that I'd like to see Iowa do more in this cycle is make the Southeast a priority. I mean, there were top targets from the Southeast in this 2021 cycle. I mean, you look at Jordan Oladoke, and obviously that situation was a little was a little unique. But, you know, it worked out in Iowa's favor twice, and then he ended up decommitting again. Um, and he's a talented player. I think he's a power five-level player. I mean, Ricky Parks was a priority for quite some time at running back. Obviously, Iowa missed out on that to Utah, but the Hawkeyes were right there for a long time. So, you know, it's just about opening those ties and, you know, getting the main states like Florida, Georgia, and, you know, Alabama, where Bracey's from getting those states locked down. And, you know, I've talked to a couple of coaches from the South and they said like, yeah, we have guys that would love to play at Iowa because, you know, not everyone can play at the Floridas, the Georgias, the Tennessees, the Alabamas. And, you know, there's a couple, like there's guys going to group of five schools like UAB, um, Louisiana, you know, Louisiana Tech that are more than capable of playing at the Power Five level in the Big Ten and can really contribute. And, you know, yeah. Obviously, it was a weird year with COVID. You couldn't see guys in person. Um, it was tough to see recruits. And, you know, I didn't even mention Michael Mislinski from Jacksonville. That was another mm-hmm. big big pickup for Derek Foster. But, you know, there's there's guys in the South. Like, let's just say that you can recruit your offensive linemen from Iowa, Wisconsin, Illinois, Minnesota, um, you know, North Dakota, South Dakota, whatever. But if you want to get skilled players – 
I mean, Iowa was lucky this year with guys like Brody Brecht, Arlen Bruce, Keegan Johnson being all in the Midwest. But I truly believe, and I think there will be a lot of people that agree with me on this, that the best, some of the best, most talented skill players comes from the South. Yep. Come from the South. It's, it's and indisputable. I think, that's, I think that's an area that you have to recruit very, very hard if you want to take your program and your offense and even your defense to the next level. Yep. I think there's no doubt in my mind that that's got to be a huge priority. I mean, Iowa gets lucky with their with their Midwest ties and having, you know, their typical prospects that they want from these states. But if you really want to make a huge difference in how your team is built and, you know, kind of open up that pipeline, like you need a guy that's going to make that Southeast area a priority. No doubt. And you're exactly right. I mean, like you said, that's about how you take it the next level. I mean, there, what would you say, Sean? I mean, there's hundreds of D1 prospects in, in Florida and in Georgia and those areas. I mean, th- those it's it's absolutely ridiculous down there. And I mean, you land a top 50 kid in Florida, you're doing something right. I mean, they're, they're usually going to be a top 500 recruit if it's top 50 in Florida. So if Iowa can get established back down there, that'd be a good thing. But I mean, yeah, obviously two big losses on the coaching staff. Sean, I want to move really quickly to one final topic, which I, I almost escaped my mind but I feel like we have to bring it up. The dead period might get extended. I think they said what through the end of May that they're uh, thinking about. There's, there's potential for May, but there's also potential that there's, a quiet good, there's also a strong chance that could be through June as well. I mean, that sucks. It sucks. I mean, there's really no way around it. It, it really, I feel so bad for these kids and, you know, it makes things so much more difficult, too, for, you know, under-the-radar prospects to get noticed because they have to go to these camps. These are how guys we've seen over the years, what, dozens if not hundreds of kids earn more offers due to going to these camps, having good performances, getting to the coaching staffs a little bit. I mean, it sucks, and it sucks for the schools, and schools are, you know, at times more hesitant to take a chance on them because they haven't gotten a chance to even live eval them. I mean, the whole situation just sucks, and the worst part is there's nobody at all that's having a voice for the recruits or the parents of the recruits in the entire process. It's all ADs. It's all everyone else, but nobody has a voice just for the recruiting. So like the actual recruit in the recruiting side things, the whole thing just sucks. And I think they need to find a way around it because they, they can't just keep doing this to these kids, especially with these kids trying to find a future home. It, the whole, again, the whole situation just sucks. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, you hit on the you hit on the nose there. It's not a fun situation. I know a lot of kids that want to go to different places, and you know there are kids that are adjusting, taking the self guided visits. But you know that doesn't do any school justice because there's so much more to a school than walk just walking around campus and seeing what it's like there. And keep in mind, I mean, especially when you get to the official visit side thing, Sean. There's these kids and these families that can't afford to just go out and to go walk around the city. They need the funding. And, you know, from the schools, be able to provide them an official visit. I mean, not everybody can afford to go fly halfway across the country to go visit a school. And I, I, again, I think that's such an important deal. I understand COVID-19 is in place. I understand it's different restrictions everywhere, but I feel like they have to find a way to make it work because the recruits deserve better in this situation. And they've been absolutely thrown to the side through this entire decision-making process. And it's, it's abysmal. It's a joke and it sucks. Yeah. It's definitely not ideal. Feel for everyone out there. Um, hopefully, something can open up this summer because that'd be a huge, huge plus for, you know, everything going on. 
But uh, yeah, I think that about wraps up everything, Sean. Any other final notes that we should be talking about? Obviously, we'll get into the uh, position groups, start previewing those here soon for spring, written content as well as swarm cast content there. I mean, there's so many storylines to watch for in this spring, Sean. It's, it's going to be one of the more interesting springs, I think, that Iowa's had in a long time. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting. I'm I'm curious to see which recruits kind of move up their timelines, which ones kind of push it back, which ones kind of stick to the status quo and, you know, wait for visits to open up. But, you know, I think we could see a couple of guys move up their decision timelines, which would which would be very, very interesting for Iowa. Yeah, and I think part of that, too, is I, I want to quickly add this final point. I mean, not everybody can afford to keep waiting till visits open back up because there's kids that have scholarships, but the cruel world of recruiting, their spot might be filled. Even if they don't get a chance to visit the school, they may have to commit just to get the spot filled. I mean, unless you're – and you know, Xavier Nuwankpa is probably one of the only guys. I mean, he's a top, like, second – what, Ray, the number two safety by 24-7 sports right now. He can afford away as long as he wants because every school across the country will want him. But there's kids, you know, mid three stars, low three stars. Not that stars are everything, obviously, but uh, they, they may have to just commit on the spot to a school they've never visited just so that they can keep it. Yep. Yep. So it's, it's a crappy situation without a doubt. So, and with Sean Bach, be sure to follow him on Twitter at sbach247. Follow me at David Eichold. Be sure to go to Hawkeye Insider for the latest, greatest, and most in depth Iowa Hawkeyes coverage. Until then, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.